Welcome to Younger and Older. I'm Dave Wager here with Zach Ellis again, and I'm so glad that you could be with us. You're actually from the East Coast now. Where are you from exactly? I am from Boston area, uh, just over the border in beautiful New Hampshire. Yeah, those states that are all crammed together out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're right on top of each other. You're yeah. you're in one place for uh, for one hour, and then another state the next. You never yeah. really know where you are. Yeah, so you don't know which police department is actually in your area at, the, at the, any given time. I was out there speaking, and I was surprised how many borders I crossed as far as states goes, and I was just in a state of confusion most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, and you are you got into photography, mm-hmm. and and if people are interested in seeing your photographs or interacting with you at all how do they do that yeah so i um i got into photography now gosh almost a decade ago Um, i host my work it's a real simple website um zach ellis photography.com you spell zach z-a-c-h e-l-l-i-s photography.com i'm sure we'll we'll put that into the show notes and uh, this has been a part of my life now for 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 a number of years um and and something that my my passion has grown towards uh, in the beginning, I think you pick up a camera and you start paying attention more to what you're already paying attention to out in the world. Uh, but that that way of of, uh, of paying attention grows, um, and not only does it grow in capacity to take to take uh, photographs to make beautiful pictures, but also the capacity to talk about that work in a way that I hope brings greater connection with the audience towards goodness, towards beauty, and towards the source of those things, towards God himself. Yeah. Now, it's interesting, as you have a love for photography, or you're an artist in that sense, and God put that in you. Mm-hmm. I, I think when I look at various artists, you know, I am not an artist. There, there's no, I, I have tried, I've tried to, draw things, sketch things, take pictures of things. And it's like, you know what? It's just, it isn't my thing. Mm. Uh, it's kind of like I took five years of piano lessons and I still can't play. <laughs> you know, so after a while you realize, okay, this isn't my gig. This, this isn't the way I'm wired. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not wired as an artist. I'm just not wired that way. However, I appreciate really good art. I mean, I, I, I totally appreciate being able to look at art and be a, a participant in it. Mm. Um, and, and you bring out a good point. As I sit here and you sit here across the table, there are people listening to us who have yet to find that God-given passion and gift that they have, and I believe they have it. Mm. I believe God makes you certain ways that, that you have certain giftedness that you need to continue to develop all your life. Mm-hmm. And that if you're using it right, that people will see God through it. Mm-hmm. And that's what you need to do. So for me, it's a constant teaching, constant trying to figure out how to get people to get into the Word and figure out what it might be. And it could be podcast, could be teaching, could be writing. It's just not art. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I encourage listeners, um, make sure that you're understanding the body principle, at least to a minimal uh, effect, where you realize there's there's elbows and there's knees, and it's, it's all part of the body, and it's all important. Mm-hmm. And you develop what God's given you to develop in life rather than looking at somebody else and trying to be like them. Because mm-hmm. that won't work. Mm. Um, and you've said 10 years now. Is it because you can't figure out how photography fits into your life? Is, is that, um, it, it, is there a, like, this is too much fun for me and I shouldn't uh, be spending that much time on it because I need to do things that are more, quote, valuable? Mm. It's, it's a great question, Dave. You know, I think... 
I wrestle with uh, the reasons why I'm so drawn towards photography, why I'm so compelled by that practice, because it could be any number of other things. I mean, to your point, there's writing, there's cooking, there's sports, there's, there's adventure of all kinds that we could get ourselves into. And yet this particular thing I feel very drawn to. And there's a curiosity there to wonder, okay, God, well, if you've put this on my heart, I'm interested in knowing more of why it's there and how I might purpose this towards towards an even bigger good than I can imagine. There's a there's a hopeful anticipation to see this thing grow and develop um, in its ability to to connect me with God and to connect me with others in conversation. So I think about photographs that I make as a as a kind of reflective surface where I, I'm out in the world and wandering around in the woods or near a body of water or or even taking photographs of people and and when that image is made and it's printed and it's put onto a wall, it it serves really as this reflective surface on which I can orient my gaze and be brought into a posture of contemplation to feel and experience emotion that come up from kind of my my interior self as I look at beauty and I'm given reasons to question and to consider why is it that I feel this when I look at a picture of water right and it could be could be anything else that I'm looking at but there's an experience there's a reaction that I have and and that right there that is the moment that is the opportunity for me to better understand myself um, and to have conversation and connect with others where where we get to go from the surface level literally the surface of a photograph and go deeper into reality sure. itself as God has made it yeah and you just described giftedness you know for me when I hear something or I read something I have all these different outlets immediately that I have to put it into mm-hmm. you know so I, I read a quote and it, it gets me it's like well Boy, it could be at nighttime, it could be younger, older broadcast. It could be that I'm speaking to this group. It could be that I'm, I'm working on writing a book and I'm, I want to put it in there. I have to find a spot for it. Mm-hmm. And it's like I'm possessed. Mm-hmm. I have to find a way to get this out, mm-hmm. this one thing, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And in it, when I look at my life now, there's all these outlets yeah. that, that have developed. And, and I've had young people come go, how'd you get all, all these opportunities? Well, I really... From the time I'm young, I've been storing stuff in places, saying if I ever get a chance, I should do this, I should do this. So I have whole files of quotes of things mm-hmm. that, you know, half the time I don't do anything with. But they're they're waiting. Mm-hmm. They're waiting. And when the time comes, I might use them Yeah, uh, kind of thing. And, yeah. and I, I used to think that was, well, that's kind of what you do for fun for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing that God just takes those and then puts them in different places at different times. Uh, to be used and likewise with your photography it's that's a great thing to be able to do i encourage you to go visit his site take a look at it interact with zach on that i think you would appreciate his photography Mm. um and what god's doing through him uh you you've been thinking a lot lately about uh, the idea of being a sojourner Mm. you you used that word what is that exactly how did you get to where you're thinking in those terms and and what does it mean to you i mean what what do you mean you're thinking about the idea of being a sojourner. How does that affect anything? Mm. Well, actually, I can get to that place uh, once again through photography. So if you can imagine yourself, kind of visualize, you pick up a camera, you step out your door out into the world, and you could go in any any sort of direction. You can go anywhere. And there's a quality about that in which I feel that I am wandering, not exactly knowing where I'm going, and yet feeling compelled out into the world to go and see what might happen. 
there's this sense of wandering and being kind of a stranger out in the world and at the same time feeling very much at home in the midst of that process as if it's exactly where I'm supposed to be there's this paradox between the two that I feel so this recent series now that I'm showing in galleries out on the east coast uh, it's called hereafter and it really wrestles with this tension of living in the now while anticipating the yet to come those images were made over the last three years of my life uh, and, and those three years started at a point where I made a hard break with patterns and behaviors of addiction that had been long-standing in my life. So I look at that, that, that punctuation mark to go, okay, I'm done with this. I cannot do this anymore. And then the life and the season that came, came after that point, as I wandered out in the world many times in a kind of desperation and despair, simply going, I don't know what else to do right now with my time, with my resources, with my thoughts. So I'll grab the camera and go out into the world. I would make images that went on for three years. And now I, I look back at those at that series of photographs and was able to see much more clearly, or I should say, God gave me eyes to see the growth that was happening, happening over a much larger arc of time. So that brings me to this this kind of pondering now on what it is to be a sojourner, that that word that shows up uh, in in many passages throughout the Old Testament and the New, where at some points it's it's the the word is a stranger or an exile or a wanderer, and I think the best description I've I've come across right now so far for a sojourner is to be a wanderer while at home or at home while wandering. The word itself holds attention between two things and. I have to say, when I discovered that word and, and kind of with fresh eyes, it was enormously grounding for me to see see myself in that description to go, that's so often how I feel. I feel like I am I am pulled between two worlds and I need to have language, a better understanding so that that experience doesn't pull me in half, doesn't put me into a place of perpetual anxiety. So I've been thinking about that a lot, that, oh, I guess I am most properly placed, most properly positioned when I understand that I am a sojourner in this life. Right. You know, I mean, it's so powerful. When you're talking about that, a lot of times when I've taught, I've taught about I, I'm the Vietnam era. Mm -hmm. and, and I kept asking the question, if you're a soldier and you're in Vietnam, what is your driving force mm -hmm. to finish and go home? I mean, that's what you're thinking about. You're, you're not thinking about investing in real estate in Vietnam. You're not thinking about going out to dinner at some pizza place in Vietnam. <laughs> you know, you're not doing that. Mm -hmm. You're saying, what is the job I'm here to do? Mm -hmm. Can we get it finished so I can go home? Mm -hmm. and, and why? Because I don't belong here. I don't want to invest here. Mm -hmm. This isn't my world. This isn't my culture. This isn't. You know, I'm, I'm here for a purpose, and that's where things got scrambled in Vietnam, I understand. And people might be saying, dumb example, because that was all scrambled. Mm. Well, that's my era. That's, that's what everyone my age fought in. You know, mm. I mean, that was our war. Mm. Uh, but in the process, I understood a lot about life, because I understand the warfare that God keeps telling us we're in. So you're thinking sojourner, I'm thinking soldier. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and as I think soldier, I, I don't know, I've talked to so many that were in war or have been, or even to this day, I have a, a friend from the Air Force that keeps calling me on a every other day basis and we talk. You know, there's not a soldier that wants to be in warfare. Mm -hmm. They're away from their families. They're away from everything they're used to. They're away from what they love. Mm -hmm. But they have this job to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they want to get it done so that they can go home. Mm 
Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and they want to be victorious, obviously, because they're protecting something. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the picture I have in my head when you talk sojourner. I think Vietnam, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which again takes some context for people to grab a hold of, but otherwise it's like weird war. <laughs> Put yourself in that. Moment. Well, and a weird position to be in. I think that there is a real weirdness in even looking to Scripture where. When the Israelites are in a posture of exile, they're not in the promised land. They've been taken away from that by a capturing people, and they find themselves in this place, disconnected from the place that God has promised them. And in that position, God tells them to plant gardens and to build houses and to live as if they're going to be there. Right. Even while they know that that's not where they're going to ultimately reside forever. Right. So God has this weird way of saying, I see the temporal state that you're in. I see the bigger picture timeline and the sliver in which you occupy right now. And I want you to hold tension between living right here and right now, observing my goodness, enjoying the beauty that I've given you within boundaries, right? I've given you a garden and it's walled in with a sense of order that would otherwise, without those boundaries, be chaos. I want you to stay there while anticipating the fulfillment of what's yet to come. So we have physical manifestations of spiritual reality. And God's communicating himself to us in the midst of our disconnection from him through physical means to say, I look at in terms in photographic terms, I look at the trees and see and see almost like hands pointing up towards God to be reminded of what's above me. Or I see the depth of the waters and am reminded of how much is beneath me, below me that that I'm not in control of. And yet God is I see him showing up in all those ways where it kind of it breaks my my little paradigms my little ways of seeing the world to go it's not an either or it's a both and god is in the entire thing and he uses both the time-bound existence that I occupy right now and the eternity that I already feel myself called into that well when it says that eternity is written on our hearts yeah i can't get around that so right. being a sojourner acknowledges that reality, that I am wandering while at home, or I'm at home while wandering right now, and that I can hold tension between those two realities. Yeah. You know, I don't care where you call home. When you're away from home, you want to go back home. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, generally. And, and the, the problem is when we start making this world our home, and God says, you know, you got to understand something. This isn't. This isn't really what your home is going to be. Mm-hmm. In fact, those of you that are my family, I've gone to prepare a place for you. Mm-hmm. That's going to be home. Mm-hmm. Now, I have no idea what that's going to look like, and I have no idea what that means, and I don't need to. I just know that the God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all life says, Dave, I've gone to prepare a place for you. Mm-hmm. So please don't consider where you're at right now your permanent place because there will be. You, you have this desire. I, I think every human has a desire for significance and security. So the significance is, Dave, I love you. You're my family. I've created a place for you. It's going to be permanent. It's going to be home. Mm -hmm. You're significant to me, the creator and sustainer of all life. You're significant. Mm -hmm. The security is, it's in my hands, not yours. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I can actually live my life knowing I'm significant and secure. Uh, used to something earlier though. I want to I want to go back and revisit. You talked about uh, leaving an addictive lifestyle, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. Um, and and you made it sound like it was somewhat sudden that you were able to break off from it and go in another direction. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? So it's sudden in the sense that there was a decision made 
And yet that process from the point of decision forward was certainly not, okay, I'm done, it's all neat and tidy and I'm good to go. It was a, a devastating process yes. of reformation, a process in which, and you bore direct witness to this, where yeah. there were times at which I didn't know if I wanted to live anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because, uh, again, being going back to the Vietnam era, there were, there were several guys that came back from Vietnam that were addicted to heroin mm-hmm. um, it, just to get through the war. I mean, that's the other side of the Vietnam War. There, there was a, a, a purposelessness of the fighting that seemed to overtake us as, as a nation and as an individual that's out there. Mm-hmm. And again, the purposelessness, mm-hmm. you know, of life that some people feel mm-hmm. that they need to be reminded again who God is and that kind of thing. But a lot of guys came back from the war mm-hmm. uh, and they were uh, addicted to something, mm-hmm. you know, from the war itself and, and caused them to do that. There were those who went on and they couldn't really ever get over that addiction. Mm-hmm. There were others that came back and they were over it. In fact, a majority of them were. Mm-hmm. So that's very interesting to me because when we talk about the world of addiction, mm-hmm. you know, there are some that, boy, you know, I'm in another direction. It's over. And there are others where it's a, it's a huge, long process. And there's others where uh, they don't get over it mm-hmm. in some respects. Mm-hmm. Um I remember I was uh, misdiagnosed with a disease, and I was on two medications mm-hmm. for about 10, 12 years. And these two medications were very powerful medications, and I was told, don't ever just stop them mm-hmm. uh, because you will, you're addicted to them, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I was afraid to ever go anywhere without them, you know, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. One day I, I realized I went to Mayo Clinic for trying to get this checked out because it wasn't working. It was actually, I was diagnosed with narcolepsy, but I didn't really have it. Mm. And so they said, no, you don't have it. And they showed me why. Mm. You know what was interesting? I, I really wanted those medicines to do something and they weren't. Mm. I quit them that day and I didn't have any side effects. None. Mm. And, and, and so I'm, I'm always intrigued by addiction. You know what I mean? It's like, I've seen it so many different ways. I've, I've seen it where people like myself said, I don't see a purpose in this anymore. Mm-hmm. And my brain must have taken over and said, there is no purpose in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to miss it. Well, it points out, you point out a really a, a key piece about addiction is that when we become addicted, that there, it is, it is not by entirely by accident that somebody finds themselves in that position. There's actually an intelligence about addiction. It depends on the the worldview, the framework from which you come to say, well, I'm acknowledging that I have needs. That the world is a messy, painful, despairing place in so many ways. And so, if I don't have the ultimate peace, the shalom that we that we aim for in eternity and live in that reality right now, then I'm going to reach for things in the immediate that take care of that for me. So thinking about, um, thinking about addiction in a way where it brings the imminent and the transcendent together. So I have my physical body and my physical experience of life while I desire after, if eternity is written on my heart, I desire after completeness, wholeness, for things to be as they were made to be in the beginning. And if I don't have a way of, of conceptualizing that that actually is the case and that maybe this life is just all materialist, that it doesn't actually have any meaning, I'm, I'm torn between two worlds. And so I reach for something to medicate, to soothe, right. to, to take care of that for me. And well, after a while, that takes what you reach for in order to have control over your life then eventually takes over and has control over you. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I think when in my broadest uneducated terms in this area, mm-hmm. I, th- I think that everyone's an addict. 
it, you know, I think we're addicted to ourselves, you know, and, and whatever we feel good from the time we're young. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're all, we're all breaking that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all looking and going, boy, just satisfying my urges is not going mm-hmm. to, that's not going to bring me fulfillment. I'm not going to feel significant and secure by just having eight hamburgers. You know, I mean, this isn't going to happen. Because some people are addicted to food and some people are addicted to different things. Oh, yeah. But I think in general, if if I were to boil it down in my non-addictive type of brain as far as in all the psychology or the counseling, it's like, no, I think I've always been addicted to myself. Mm -hmm. And it's a lifelong journey to understand that that goes nowhere. You know, mm-hmm. so especially when you start looking at how, how the guys in Scripture that wrote them call themselves servants, call themselves, you know, it's like, no, a servant isn't addicted to themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And some of them might say, well, they, they listen to their master because they want a good life for themselves. Okay, if that's addiction to yourself. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, I breathe air because I like to, you know, go eat lunch, mm-hmm. you know, and I need to breathe air. I, I'm not sure I'm addicted to breathing air. I, I think there's certain things in life we're made to do and, and mm-hmm. addictions are a little different twist to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are there things that begin to control you, become this dopamine mm-hmm. fixation kind of thing. Yeah, there's a book that I've really, I've learned enormously from called Addiction and Virtue by uh, Kent Dunnington. And he writes, the, the book is called Addiction and Virtue Beyond the Models of Disease and Choice. So he seeks to find what is the moderating position between those two polarities. Is addiction purely a disease or is it just something that we choose to do? And he reaches for, from Aristotle and from Thomas Aquinas and from St. Augustine, looking at the word, the concept of habit. And when I first read that, I thought, I kind of rolled my eyes, like, geez, this is pretty thin, man, habit. Really? We could probably go deeper than this. But he really expands this thing out to look at habit as something that we voluntarily choose to bring into our lives, but then over time begins to automate our life. The, the question is, in what direction? Towards right. the good or towards the, that which would tear us apart? So that really has been enormously illuminating. To speak of um, St. Augustine, where that St. Augustine being somebody who himself struggled profoundly with sexual addiction. He was trying to work out his, his fleshly desires and, and, and in some way integrate that with, with his experience of love, mercy, and grace that he had in communion with God. So much of his writings were his attempts to understand better what he, what he described as disordered loves. What I really love about that, that idea of having a disordered love is that it doesn't do away with that I have love. I'm not supposed to do away with that, but I do have to think about how is that properly ordered, properly grounded into what is going to bring me love and flourishing in return, rather than the addictions that we so often go to where we sacrifice on the altar of our own personal desire right. and receive only death in return. Yeah. You know, I, I enjoy uh, actually looking at different viewpoints and research where people talk about addictions from all different angles mm-hmm. you know what i mean because that's not my field where i'm in mm-hmm. in it too much mm-hmm. and and uh, you know i enjoyed uh, listening to this one guy talk about he, he studied the vietnam vets that came back mm-hmm. and just tried to figure out how their heroin addictions mm-hmm. because he he was talking about all the people in the united states of america that go under certain uh, surgeries and they give them pure heroin medical heroin to fight the pain when they're done mm-hmm. and they're not addicts so so this got them rolling a little bit it's like i wonder how you become addicted to this stuff mm-hmm. i mean you can use it mm-hmm. in one way but you can also become addicted to it mm-hmm. um i've always been afraid of it so, so so normally when i played football hockey that kind of stuff i stayed away from that stuff because mm-hmm. i've from seen too many killers. yeah mm-hmm. I, i've just seen too many people 
you know, that were just addicted to it that mm-hmm. basically had no desire <laughs> to be around it even mm-hmm. at, at first. And then all of a sudden it became controlling to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was interesting to me. But it was also interesting to hear this guy talk about when they came home from Vietnam, mm-hmm. the only ones that stayed addicted were the ones who didn't get up the next day and go to work. You know, so it was like, okay, well, what are you drawing here? You know, I mean, he was drawn from a different bag trying to say, here's what I observed. Here's my studies. And then he went and did a bunch of stuff on mice and whatever it might be. And that was interesting, too. Speaking of mice, there's a, a, a study. I don't know when this one came out, but they did. I think it was actually on rats, so bigger mice maybe. Yeah. But they, they put these electrodes into the, um, into the, into the rat in, in a way where they could step on different pedals, and it would stimulate three areas of the brain, the dopaminergic or the dopamine response, serotonergic, serotonin, and hypothalamic. So dopamine is kind of like ecstasy, right. joy, bliss, serotonin is like a feeling of security, peacefulness. The interesting one was the hypothalamic. And that area of the brain, when it's stimulated, it's hopeful anticipation for something that is not yet realized. So it's like kind of being in the flow state where you're in the middle of a project, you're excited about what you're anticipating and you're working towards, but you haven't yet realized it. When given the choice, the rats had the option of stimulating those areas of the brain. They would try dopamine, try serotonin, and when they went to the hypothalamic, they would stomp on that all day long. Hmm. What they wanted was the feeling of hopeful anticipation without the realization of the thing yet. So to tie that big back into, well, soldiers at Vietnam right. coming back and going right into a position of work where they're in process, right. or to think about being a sojourner where I'm caught between two things in a way that animates me towards motion, towards movement, towards relationship, that's actually where I want to be. Yeah. Well, I, and, and I think the reason I'm so intrigued by reading these is because there's been so many people who've been addicted who say, I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. I, I can't get unaddicted. Mm-hmm. It's like... Well, I don't know. You know, I, I think there's research that says there's ways to help. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there, you, you need to go talk. You need to get in line with the truth. You need to start seeing things clearer. Mm-hmm. You just talked about, you know, mm-hmm. there's, you, you need to get up and have something to do in life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of thing. And there's a lot of things that we can do to, to help. Mm-hmm. You know, from my angle, it's always, okay, if you're going to come to me, I'm, I'm just going to keep talking about there is a God mm-hmm. and there's a way things are made and I want you to get in line with it. You know, that kind of thing. And, and there's other counselors you can go to that help you in other areas and mm-hmm. and, and see different things. And, and it might be good to have a plethora of different people you're listening to uh, because one of them's going to stick the knife right where it belongs, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's the bullseye for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we all, when I was reading all this material, I was saying, my goodness, there's people that got through addictions all different ways. Mm-hmm. And there's people who never got through it, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm not sure you can find an exact pattern of how everybody does it, you know, differently. But I like what you said because I think all of them basically said if you get up in the morning and you have a purpose to accomplish, you get up and you, you know, you you are in far better shape than to sit all day and have nothing to do and just to think about it. I think acknowledging the reality of our position, which lives inside the biblical framework, where in, in Hebrews chapter 11, at the end of the verse uh, 13, it says um, that they, having confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. There's something about, for, the, for those saints, acknowledging the reality of their position that grounded them, even in the midst of a tumultuous world. Exactly. And I encourage our listeners, go to Hebrews 11. Uh, 13, it says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. 
understanding the truth uh, sets you free. That's really what happens. And it takes some ponder time to do that. I encourage you to contact Zach through his website, and that is? ZachEllisPhotography.com. And we'll put that in the notes, and uh, thank you for listening. I'm Dave Wager here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. Goodbye for now.